streets paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney, whether you're watching on the NRB Network, Channel 378, DirecTV, or listening on radio, AM820, KUTR, The Truth, we welcome you. I am standing next to some of the most beautiful and handsome kids around. I wanted to make them my own. They are such a nice group of kids. And so why don't we introduce them? This is Dax. This is Mazzy. This is Brig. And this is Dylan. And they have a message for you. Ready? Jesus saves. That was good, but we're going to do it again. A little anemic. In the rehearsal, it made everybody fall off their chairs. You ready? One and a two and a three. Jesus saves. Yes. Very good. Now, before you guys leave, I just want to say one thing. You know, this is really, we do this whenever kids are in the audience, but this is really important to us, the ministry, and I know it's important to you, because these guys here are in the trenches here in Utah. They are, uh, if they go to public school, they're outnumbered uh, 200, 300, 500 to 1. They have to stand on their own two feet, and so uh, my hat is off to them. I, I salute these kids, so you guys keep going, all right? Thanks for being on the show. All right. And uh, can't watch Heart on regular television? Go to HOTM.TV and you can watch all the programs through streaming video, through extensive archives. And if you go to YouTube, you can also type in Heart of the Matter or Sean McCraney and watch over 1,500 clips that are seen all over the place. Thanks to our friend in Norway. Uh, who just took it upon himself, Andrew. I was a born-again Mormon moving toward Christian authenticity. Book is available online at bornagainmormon.com, also at utlm.org. Christian Gift and Bible, Lifeway Christian Bookstores. Every week we read the Bible verse by verse uh, at a meeting at University of Utah, Sundays from 2.30 to 3.30. All are welcome. You can go to calvarycampus.com for more information like times and locations. And then while you're driving in from 1 to 2, on AM820, The Truth, uh, they play replays of Heart of the Matter for anybody who is interested. Haven't said anything about utlm.org in a while. Utah Lighthouse Ministry is a pioneer ministry here in Utah to the LDS throughout the world. They paved the way that many of us are benefiting from their having all the work that they did uh, all alone. What makes them so good is that they use original LDS resources, proof texts. They go and they just show you where the stuff is. It's a great place. Want to know the truth? www.utlm.org. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 3, the Lord says, speaking of the nation of Israel, quote, 
And I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curse thee. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed, end quote. Check out Heart for Israel at www.hotm.tv and the gorgeous olive wood products we offer, which directly support the nation of Israel uh, where they're made, and it also supports Aletheia Ministries and our endeavors to stay on the air. Okay, big announcement. Many of you don't realize, but Aletheia Ministries has a mission statement, and the, mission, uh, the overall mission statement is to reach, teach, and serve in the name of Christ. That is the Aletheia Ministries mission statement. Under reach, we have Heart of the Matter. We also have The Great Generation, which is a television program that we're still working on and trying to get out there syndicated to different uh, television uh, networks. And then we also have had um, a keen desire to reach people through uh, film and through uh, artistic Christian film, not just Christian storytelling in film, but uh, kind of like art film uh, that has more of an artistic edge that can reach people who are interested in those things. Aletheia Ministries is proud to present the screening of our first short Christian film, which is particularly aimed at younger people, uh, even more particularly aimed at girls. In fact, that's the title for the short film, Girls. Here's the teaser. Dear God, Mother says you only answer prayers from obedient and chaste girls. If that's the case, I'm screwed. Right, wrong, what to do? Someday it will come to you. Hostile Indians, we named a summer camp for you. I've got nothing to say. For some reason, I believe in you, and for some reason, I think you'll help me. So here's my confession. Okay, Girl is going to be submitted to a number of uh, film festivals and then distributed to churches so that youth pastors can use it as a tool. We would really appreciate your support for Girl, and you can show the support by attending our special screening on Monday night, December 6th, at the Gateway Theaters in downtown Salt Lake City. We're going to have the screening, a short panel discussion, and light refreshment reception. And um, if you view Girl and it's you feel like you are interested in it, we want to get together with you and just talk to you about how you can be involved in the distribution of the film. But please join the screening. It's free. It's just come and check it out. 15, 17 minute film. Be, and we're going to do that again December 6th at the Gateway Theaters, downtown Salt Lake City. Please tell your youth pastors, bring your teens, all the teens you can find, uh, and uh, help us uh, reach teens through the arts. So I promise you, you'll be taken back by the effectiveness of this medium and the craft that is expressed therein. With that, let's have a prayer. <clears throat> Dear God in heaven, Lord, we need you in everything that we do, and we seek you constantly. So use us, Lord. Help us tonight. Help our volunteer staff. Help uh, 
the people who are doing things to keep the show running, help our audience members here in studio, outside in the world, uh, that the message will be clear and what you want uh, said. So we pray for this, and for those who are seeking truth, in Jesus' name, amen. Combinations of certain ingredients, recipes, if you will, can account for a tremendous amount of good in the universe and an exorbitant amount of bad. Over this year, we have compared and contrasted biblical Christianity with Mormonism alphabetically. Interestingly, the last three topics we have done, all starting with P, uh, modern prophets who are to be obeyed and believed at all costs, a mythical pre-existence, and a false and completely unnecessary priesthood, which is held only by worthy LDS males, have helped create one of the ugliest recipes found in the realms of faith. Racism. Mormon racism. What's the recipe? Take one large chunk, one large chunky idea that certain men today are infallible prophets who will never lead members of the Mormon church astray, add in the myth that all people lived before this life in a pre-existence, and teach that this state, we earned the color that we are here and our socioeconomic status, and blend in a false priesthood which operates under the premise that people have to be worthy to have it, Season it heavily with quotes from the Book of Mormon and Pearl of Great Price, which focus on skin color, and after letting it sit in the hearts of trusting people for a while, have this ripe batch of Mormon racism ready for anyone willing to swallow it. Now, remember, the first ingredient in the recipe of Mormon racism is to believe that God has called modern prophets whose words must be wholly and completely trusted. The first of these modern prophets was Joseph Smith. And Joseph Smith introduced the first concept of racism in the book he authored called the Book of Mormon. Note, most of these racist ideas are still found in the Book of Mormon today. Speaking positively, Joseph describes some people in the Book of Mormon as white and delightsome, fair and beautiful, and fair and white. In sharp contrast, he also used phrases like dark and loathsome to describe other people groups who were corrupted or chose to live evil lives. In describing the Gentiles that would someday discover America, Joseph had a Book of Mormon character named Nephi say, quote, in 1 Nephi 3.15, And I beheld the Spirit of the Lord, that it was upon the Gentiles, and they did prosper and obtain the land for their inheritance. Ready? And I beheld that they were white and exceedingly fair and beautiful, like unto my people, before they were slain. Several chapters later, Joseph describes some characters who used to be white Nephites that had now become people that he called the Lamanites. Listen to what he said. And he, meaning God, had a curse come upon them, yea, even a sore curse, because of their iniquity. For behold, they had hardened their hearts against him, and they had become like unto flint. Wherefore, as they were white and exceedingly fair and delightsome, that they may not be enticing unto my people, the Lord God did cause a skin of blackness to come upon them. Obviously, the writer of the book of Nephi, whether it was Joseph Smith or an ancient American named Nephi, believed that dark skin was repulsive and white skin was delightsome. 
Reinforcing this opinion was the fact that later in the Book of Mormon, when the dark Lamanites converted to Mormonism, something miraculous occurred. Their skin pigmentation began to change back to white. In 3 Nephi 2, 14 through 15, the Book of Mormon reads, and the curse was taken from them, and their skin became white like unto the Nephites, and their young men and their daughters became exceedingly fair, and they were numbered among the Nephites and were called Nephites. But sadly, according to Joseph's Book of Mormon, as these Lamanites returned to their evil ways, their dark skin came back upon them. Later in the Book of Mormon, a prophet named Jacob, in a rebuke of his white brethren, said, quote, O my brethren, I fear that unless ye shall repent of your sins, that their skins will be whiter than yours, when ye shall be brought before them before the throne of God. Now, how come God hasn't used this Book of Mormon pigmentology on all peoples around the world? Uh, the Nazi Germans, for instance, who were trying to be a superior race, a, a devout heavenly race even on earth, how come he didn't take that master race and have them become dark because of their evil deeds? What about the Bolsheviks? How come they stayed white? Or the Manson family? How come their skin didn't turn? As early America was being settled, people began to look around and wonder, who are these savage people and where on earth did they come from? Why do they look so different from us who are so civilized and how we look? There had to be a reason for these terrifying differences, and when answers were being sought by seeking people in and around 1820 to 1830, Joseph Smith was not only willing to provide them, he had the audacity to, to, to attribute these answers to God himself. Let me tell you something here and now and as plain as day. Let this truth sit in your mind. Just consider it, okay? God is the author of all races, all cultures, all people. Just as he created many species of dogs, Labradors, Boxers, Dowhounds, Wiener dogs, all these different dogs, and cats, Siamese cats, Calicos, all these different species, he has given human beings their diversity of colors and cultures and climes. The prophet Jeremiah rhetorically asks in Jeremiah 13, 23, listen to this. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? That's from the word of God into the prophet Jeremiah, a question that is so simply put in the Bible. By 1835, and after a series of very discouraging events, which caused many Mormons to begin to doubt Joseph's reliability as a revelator, the 30-year-old announced the discovery of another miraculous find, an utter lie he called the Book of Abraham. In summary, a man named Michael Chandler showed up in Kirtland, Ohio, and he had some Egyptian scrolls and mummies. And long story short, after examining him with his untrained but highly imaginative spiritual eyes, Joseph Smith claimed that they were the words of God written by Abraham himself. This new and miraculous revelation created new and miraculous faith in the hearts of those who were doubting Joseph, uh, if he would actually lead them astray, eh? and there was no way at the time for anyone to confirm or deny whether this translation he was providing the world was real. He just could provide it and say it's real, and people said, well, must be, you know. In this book of Abraham, Joseph claimed to decipher some very advanced revelations on matter and introduced more insights on what the Latter-day Saints called the pre-existence or pre-mortal life. In this book of Abraham, Joseph further fleshed out his teaching on a pre-existence 
and offered more on his ideas of progressive theology. Included in his translation of these scrolls were more insights on race, except this time they were insights specifically aimed at the skin of black people and not the American Indians. The, where the Book of Mormon Lamanites got the skin they deserved from their earthly behaviors, black people, according to Smith and other trusted prophets to follow, got their skin that they deserved from their actions in the mythical pre-existence. For Mormons, the punishments blacks faced was not limited to having to walk around in a skin that was darker, but the curse also meant they could not hold the false LDS priesthood here. Uh, here. And to Mormons, the priesthood literally is everything. So while blacks could not be baptized, excuse me, so while black people could be baptized uh, and be members of the church from the onset, wasn't that generous of their Mormon leaders? You know, you can be a member with us, you just can't do anything. Uh, they were not permitted to enter into the LDS temples because only people who held the priesthood could enter into the LDS temples. And remember, if a person can't enter into an LDS temple, they can't have their family sealed to them and they cannot become a god. Therefore, by banning blacks from holding their false priesthood, Mormons were essentially banning blacks from their false heaven too. And exactly how did this black skin come out from among these deficient spirits who were supposedly coming from heaven? Through the murderer Cain. Now, that's really nice, isn't it? First, they tell the black folk that they were unfaithful spirits in a pre-existence. Then they tell them they can't have the priesthood. Then they tell them that they can't be gods and they can't have their families sealed to them forever. And then they tell them that their lineage comes from Cain. I mean, and there are people who are black today, Gladys Knight, who have joined the LDS church. I don't know how they do it. I don't, I, it's unbelievable to me. Anyway, in his doctrinal commentary on the Pearl of Great Price, printed in 18, 1967 on page 400, Hiram L. Andrus wrote what I was taught since I was a child. Quote, from the information given in the Pearl of Great Price, it is apparent that Cain is the father of the Negro people, end quote. In an LDS conference of April 18, 1952, Will, Apostle Milton R. Hunter, excuse me, of the 70-70 Hunter said, speaking of Cain uh, after his murder, that he was cursed of the Lord with a dark skin and he lost his holy priesthood. Therefore, everybody who came thereafter who had dark skin, black, excuse me, not just Hispanics, not Indian people from India, not American Indians, just the black race, could not have the priesthood. And if the LDS don't like those quotes, let's go to their scriptures. Their scriptures say, this is from their pearl of great price, Moses 7:22. It says, and Enoch also beheld the residue of the people which were the sons of Adam. And they were a mixture of all the seeds of Adam, save it was the seed of Cain, for the seed of Cain were black and had not place among them. Excuse me. Brigham Young, prophet, seer, and revelator of the Mormon church, who it is said he would never lead the saints astray, a eh? said, Shall I tell you the law of God in regard to the African race? If a white man who belongs to the chosen seed mixes his blood with the seed of Cain, the penalty under the law of God, which according to the LDS can never change, is death on the spot. This will always be so. How about a little story from the memoirs of the LDS prophet today to the rescue, Thomas S. Monson. 
from his memoirs, uh, from his book written in On the Lord's Errand, Memoirs of Thomas Monson, 1985. Listen to the story he tells. You tell me about what you think Thomas S. Monson, as the leader prophet of the church, what he, he was thinking when he said this. In about 1856, we recognized that our neighborhood was deteriorating. We observed this one Halloween by the nature of the people who came in the guise of trick-or-treat. The minority elements were moving into an area where we lived and many of the old tide families had long since moved away. Seeking counsel, I visited with Marky e. Peterson, who for many years had been the general manager of the Deseret News. O. Preston Robinson, my former professor of marketing and the University of Utah, has succeeded Brother Peterson as the general manager at the News. As I mentioned to Mark Peterson, apostle, my dilemma, wondering if it would be unfair for me to move, he simply said, your obligation to that area is concluded. Why don't you build your house in my ward? <laughs> Holy cow. I, it's unbelievable that this is just a men's club. They were probably smoking stogies when they were saying it. Oh no, they wouldn't have done that. So what was the result of the LDS people receiving this recipe for hate over 150 years, 140 years of Mormonism? This stuff was taught. Uh, as recently as 2008 at BYU, the professor of religious studies, Terry Ball, dean of religious education, said, Have you ever wondered why you were born where you were born? Why were you not born 500 years ago in some primitive aboriginal culture in some isolated corner of the world? He goes on and says, and he teaches, that it was because of the agency that we expressed in the pre-mortal existence and we earned our place as a, a, an elite place among God's people. Socioeconomically, skin colorly, we earn this place. To be born in the church put us on the highest level. And so it just engenders pride in the hearts of these poor people who have bought into what the prophet says. Well, Mr. Sean McCraney, LDS to, uh, people will cry. The ban on black men from the priesthood was lifted in uh, 1978. It's so unfair of you to bring that up today. It's 2010. Well, let me respond. First, while it is admirable Mormon leaders change their position on blacks in the priesthood, racism and the seeds of racism are alive and well in the hearts of most Latter-day Saints older than 35 or 40 years of age. I mean, we cut our teeth on this stuff. That quote was given in 2008. The idea is still there. Uh, secondly, um, the uh, LDS callers love to call in and say, you know, Sean, by our fruits, you should know us. By our fruits, they love that line. And you know, really? Are you talking about the fruits of, of racism and the fruits of polygamy and the fruits of elitism and prejudice? Uh, $40 books by your prophet, these fruits? Is this what you're talking about? Third, Mormonism has never apologized for their 140-year stance against black people being able to hold the priesthood. They only conveniently revealed this sort of quasi-revelation and then just sort of said, hey, everybody gets to have it now. Bravo, we move on now. We, living prophets, Trump dead ones, we move on. We don't care if Brigham Young said this stuff's never changing. We move on. But perhaps most importantly, what does this say about following and trusting in these living prophets who claim they will never lead you astray? Yay. Mormon racism 
was 140 years plus of mo modern Mormon prophets leading people astray, of leading them to racist actions and thoughts, of leading them to bias and hate, to justifying their elitism in the name of holy God, to pride of feeling that they were God's heavenly children from birth because of what skin color they had and where they were born, and uh, that uh, when God has given all peoples, the New Testament teaches, male and female, bond and slave, savage, wild, and disciplined and civil, any people, all people, pure freedom by the shed blood of Christ. Joseph Smith, uh, 1800 years later, reestablishes this hierarchy and starts keeping people away from God, really a crime. Now the LDS have long used God's dealings with ancient Israel to prove that even God has been exclusionary when it comes to the priesthood. The missionaries will often say to people, now God only lets certain men hold the priesthood in the Bible times. We have to try to remember that when he wouldn't let black people hold the priesthood today. Listen carefully. There's a huge difference between God saying that only a specific line of men can do priesthood duties in his temple and God saying that everyone can have these priest to do, could do these priesthood duties except a certain line of men. Do you see the difference in that? God's Old Testament way with dealing with the children of Israel was those from the line of Levi, okay? The line of Levi, they were the ones who were able to go and do those lines. And that was it. Everybody else was excluded. But the Mormons try to make a parallel to that. It, the parallel would be like this. God said, everybody on earth can go into the temple and do the priesthood stuff, except those who are in the tribe of Levi. Do you see how the reverse doesn't work? Let me give you, and, and the reason that the children of Levi, uh, the sons of Levi were the priests, were because of their zeal for God, okay? So the, in God's eyes, they kind of qualified and earned that. So let me give you kind of a, an example, and we're going to go to the phones. Let's say that in your high school, you want to start a, we want to, we're, we're going to have a, make the best school club, uh, we're going to make the best school possible club. That's the name of it. The best school possible club. All right. And in order to be a president or officer in the best school possible club, you have to have a GPA of 4.0. Okay. Is that wrong? No. Anybody who has a GPA of 4.0 can lead in the, in the uh, club. Anybody, doesn't matter who, but you got to have the GPA. Why? Because it shows that you care about school. You're going to be there more. You do more with it. And so you've earned the right to carry those. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay. But it would be one thing to let all officers in the let's make our school the best possible club be the A students. But it would be quite another thing to say that um, uh, black people cannot be those officers. And that's all it is. That's all that they said. That's what the LDS said. Anybody, they didn't even have an A thing. They said, you be a member of our church, that gives you an A. But if you're black, you cannot do it. So do you see the difficulty of that and how really bottom line ugly it was from the beginning? Now, from the beginning, when Christ died on the cross, the Lord opened it up. We keep referring to that veil being rent and it opened up and ripped in two and it was to everybody now. There was no more holy priesthood, part of the recipe of this thing. It was just for everybody. But you know, these uh, ideas and these systems of bigotry and racism, they, they came well before Joseph Smith, 
Joseph Smith tapped into them. Mormonism propagated them above all uh, other Christian churches around. And then it's not going to end with Joseph Smith either back in 1830 and 40. In the early uh, 20th century, there were a number of ingredients floating around Europe which contributed to a very ugly recipe for destruction. Germany had been decimated by the First World War and their economy was totally off kilter. The German people found themselves scrambling to give them hope. Times were tough, just like they were tough in Joseph Smith's young life and the Joseph Smith's family and with the people who lived in that, out in that agrarian, agrestic society back in the burned over district. Well, up stepped this frustrated artist in Germany and he had a vision and he was willing to put that vision in a book. He called it Mein Kampf, which means my suffering. Okay, and he came up with a book and he introduced his ideas of pure blood and racism in that book. And among other things, besides racism, elitism was taught. A call for restoration was taught. He presented a picture of what he called truth. There was pure bloodlines that he emphasized in that book. And in the end, he suggested to author a master race, a race of pure people, of good people, of noble people. His construction was immaculate. They built up cities and they did a fabulous job. He didn't believe in drinking and he didn't believe in any bad theater. He had, one, he had a wonderful utopia in his mind that came from Mein Kampf and then his power that he exuded on the German people who were looking for something to have. And from this book, his, Hitler was accepted and he gained followers and he developed a giant hierarchy of which he was at the top, the Führer. You all, and the Führer would not go wrong. You had to hail the Fuhrer. You stood when the Fuhrer entered the room. The result, it was Hitler to the rescue, is what it was. And in the end, it, all it produced was hatred and pain and exclusion and suffering and woe and death. Um, all elements from the minds of men, none uh, of those elements are from the heart of God. Let's open up the phones, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. And listen, a few reminders, LDS callers first, uh, first-time callers especially, have a question or comment ready, and please turn your television uh, sets down. Heart of the Matter exists solely on viewer support. If you are able and led, we will use your funds well. Uh, think about it, ask God, support your church first, if you're interested in helping Aletheia Ministries uh, continue on in what we do uh, and God leads you to so, uh, and you're so inclined, you can write us. I think we'll put up the graphic on the screen, maybe. You can call us, maybe we'll put the graphic up there, or you can just uh, send nice thoughts to God and tell him to, <laughs> to take care of a concern. I don't know. But anyway, we have different ways. Go to the website, hotm.tv. You can become a partner. You don't have to be a partner. You can do whatever you want, but if you can help us, great. Let's take a call. We have uh, Andrew from Indiana. He's a first-time caller. He is on line one. Andrew, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, thanks, Sean, for having me, man. Uh, I just want to say, man, you're doing a really great job with your show, and, you know, Lord's putting you to a different direction, and it's the right path, man. Uh, I just want to say, uh, I wanted to quote uh, from the Scripture in Romans chapter 8, verse 39, it helps uh, defeat ro uh, racism in all kinds. It's, uh, and it says that nor height, nor depth, nor anything else of all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then I just want to say that, man. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. And I appreciate it. These, those words from, from the Word of God 
read are, are more important than anything I say because they, they tap into people's hearts and minds. They get them going. So I really appreciate it, Andrew. Hey, man, thanks. Uh, I'm, I'll be listening and watching, man, and I say, man, God bless you, man. And uh, I'm, We'll be praying for you, dude. Thanks so much. Talk to you later. We All have right, Karen in Salt Lake City, first-time caller. Uh, before we go to her, the ladies in the control room would like to know if you mean to have your shirt so unbuttoned. No, I didn't. It was a mistake. I'm sorry. All right, let's go to Karen in Salt Lake City. Uh, Karen, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good. You're on the air. Okay, great. Um, do, can I ask a question? You sure can. Okay, well, I'm an ex-Mormon for about the last six years. Uh-huh. And sometimes when I'm talking to uh, Mormons, I'm talking about how there's the, the um, practice of polygamy. Maybe they don't practice it now, but they still have it in their doctrine. They've never really removed it, right? And no. I want to be able to have a good explanation of that to tell people. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Doctrine and Covenants 132, which was Joseph Smith's revelation that he brought forward to the world revealing the practice of polygamy, has never been removed from the Doctrine and Covenants. You know, they're really, they are really uh, arrogant in their stuff. They are not going to remove it. They haven't removed their stuff on blacks in the priesthood. All they do is morph. Why? Because someday they can come back to the stuff they truly believe in and re-implement it and say, it's always been doctrine. We just didn't focus on it at the time. Someday, if they can, they will reinstitute plural marriage. I would bet because it's part of their doctrine. Also, Karen... Uh, they practice polygamy today. LDS Church, Central Salt Lake City, the main church, practices plural marriage today. How? Men are able to marry multiple wives in, the temp in their temples as long as their first wife is dead, and then they can marry another one. And when I say marry, that means they have... Well, my, well my ex-husband actually married someone else in the temple. And are you still sealed to him? Well, I never went through any kind of... Proceedings. You're a polygamous lady. <laughs> <laughs> and if That's that wife awesome. of his dies or divorces Act him, he can get another one. They actually asked me to write a letter saying that it was okay, and I said, yeah, because it's, it's not real. Go right ahead. It's imagination. You have uh, my permission. <laughs> well, uh, really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, well, thank you for the call. I hope I helped. Okay, thank you so much. See you later, Karen. Bye-bye. We're going to Tracy in Salt Lake City, Utah. First-time caller. Tracy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Thank you. You're on the air, Tracy. She's talking right now. Yeah, I know, because there's a delay. You have to turn your TV down. Okay, so I just start talking to him? You just start talking. Turn that TV down, and you're not going to be able to do it. I have it. Okay. What's going on? Well, uh, I'm an ex-Mormon, too, and I was talking to a friend of mine, and she's also an ex-Mormon, and she brought up something that I had never heard before, and it just blew me away. So I'd like to have him just tell me what it's all about. It has to do with the little play that they have in the wedding ceremony in the temple. Yeah. And according to the little play, that uh, Satan offers the apple to Adam. And Adam is so high and mighty, oh, no, I can't do that, I can't do that. No, give it to give it to the woman. That is absolute blasphemy because it, Satan never offered the apple to Adam. No. It's absolute 
blasphemy. Yeah. And I couldn't believe it. Do they still believe that? Now I know why the men are so arrogant. Yeah. Because they have this, oh, yeah, I said no to all that, but the woman did yeah. it. Now the that's blasphemy. Yeah. Yeah, they do. In, their, in, that, in that film, they do show Adam, tell Satan, no, I don't want it. And you see, this is part of the restored gospel. Joseph took everything that was in there and he expounded on it so that he could say, I revealed to you the lost truths. And this was one of them. Wow. Yeah, isn't that amazing? I thought I knew everything, but this one blew me away. Yeah, it never ends. Keep, keep going, my friend. Okay. Thank you for the call, Tracy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, listen. I, I wanted to get this book uh, to the rescue. It was very important to me. To the rescue. So I, I went to uh, Deseret Book down on, on uh, North South Temple today, right across from Temple Square, uh, actually right before the show. And I walked in, and there was a, a nice lady there in, in heavenly attire. And I said, uh, I'd like that book, you know, uh, by, by Thomas Monson. And she said, oh, yes, it's over there. And so I picked it up. And it's a heavy tomb, and I looked on the back, and yeah, it's only 30, 38 bucks. Uh, and uh, I'm like, wow, he must be to the rescue for that price. So uh, I, I walked up, I said, I'd like to get this, I guess. And she said, okay. And then another very nice sales lady came up and said, you know, I can get you a copy that's autographed if you'd like. And I was like, yes! Oh, please, that will just make my day if you could do that for me. So she goes, okay. So she runs and she goes to the back, and the other lady says, well, you know, uh, you're acting kind of funny about this. And I said, you just don't know how important this is to me. And she said, who are you? What is this about? And I said, I just want that book. I just have, and I get it autographed. She looked at me and she said, just a minute. And she ran back to where the other girl was getting the autographed copy. And she gets to her and I see, she's gonna try to stop her from me getting my autographed copy. So I run over, hey, you. Let me have my autographed copy. She promised I could have it. I'm not telling her not to give it to you. Yes, you are. Let me have my copy. So I got it autographed by the man. To the rescue. To the rescue. Thomas Monson. To the rescue. <laughs> not Jesus. Not the Holy Spirit. Not God. Thomas S. Monson. On the cover of the Herald Journal, there was an article, that's the Cache Valley newspaper headlines, Church Boots LDS Scout Leaders. What this is about is in Raleigh, North Carolina, a Mormon couple went to a Presbyterian church to enroll their children into the scouting program. The Stokeses enrolled their sons in the scouts at the Christ Covenant Church of Presbyterian Congregation. And after two scout meetings, um, no, wait, they, the couple then said, we would like to uh, volunteer to be the leaders. And so the, the church there, the Presbyterian Church, was very happy, and they said, okay. Well, then when they read their paperwork closely, it said under religion, it said, we belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And the paper here in, in the Cache Valley says, after two scout meetings, the Stokeses were told their sons, six and eight years old, uh, could remain in their packs, but the parents couldn't serve as leaders. This is what the Latter-day Saints said. I can't believe they had the audacity to say, you can't be leaders, but we want your boys, Judy Stokes said. Are you kidding me? Are you, do you really think I'd let my boys go there now? 
And the whole article is about how unfair it is for that Presbyterian church not to let those people who are not uh, uh, Presbyterians come in and lead the Boy Scout troop. You know, that just makes me think I'm going to go over and go to the local ward this weekend and say, hey, I want to be the bishop. You know, uh, does it matter what church I belong to? Do I have to be a Mormon to serve in your church? Can I do a bunch of things, too, that I just want to do? Does it matter? Should I get mad because they have some, uh, some uh, rules or something that try to protect their flock from wolves? I mean, just imagine how uh, incensed you would be if you sent your kids to scouting and the leaders of that scout troop at your Christian church were LDS. And you walk in one day and you hear them saying, you know, son, you lived in a pre-existence. And, uh, and you know, teaching false doctrine. And the Mormons are, are, they, I, they are, they are getting so caught up in their special interests and their rights to stand up and not be offended and to be considered Christian, they don't see the other side of the coin that they do the very same thing and have done the very same thing for 150 years. Okay. Uh, any calls? I don't see any. So are there calls? Scroll back down. Oh, the operators are working through the lines. This is from Ryan. I thought you would find this quote from M. Russell Nelson in the priesthood session quite ironic. Uh, he said, Nelson said, quote, you can invite a friend to read the Book of Mormon. Explain that it is not a novel or a historical book. Um, you can find that on LDS.org. You see, you know what they're doing now is they're going to get away because evidence is going to show more and more that it is not a historical book. The Bible, a historical book that you can trust. God works through reality not through dreams and fanciful visions. And uh, they are more and more finding that that Book of Mormon is going to be under scrutiny. So you have an apostle saying, share the Book of Mormon, but make sure you tell them it's not a novel and it's not a historical book. What would that make it? It would make it fiction or it would make it a revelation. And they're going to probably rely more and more on the idea that Joseph Smith received revelation about this book rather than it actually being a literal historical event, which is what they taught me and showed me and actually, you know, showed me maps and stuff of where everything happened. Not anymore. Junior in Salt Lake City, first time caller. You're on the air. Junior, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how are you? Doing well. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. Hey, I've got a, I've got a quick question. I've got... Uh, two brothers, brother-in-laws that are out on missions. One's out in the Czech Republic, and the other is out in Seattle. And both of them will be coming home soon. Um, my wife is an ex-LDS member. She just left the church. Um, one of the biggest problems we're having is in our constant letters that they write home every week. They hear or they talk about um, pastors and priests and such on. Uh, telling them things about the Bible and uh, proving the gospel wrong. But uh, my, my main question is, how can I prove to them or show them a scripture or get them to believe that the Bible is 100% uh, the Word of God and it's not an error or anything? Well, I mean, what do you Junior... Um let me recommend before they get home from their mission, you read a couple books. You can read any book by Norman Geisler, uh, any book. Uh, well, not any book. Norman Geisler is pro a little bit more scholarly and reliable. Uh, 
Josh McDowell is not as scholarly, but he's able to give you a lot of very easy facts about the Bible, especially in uh, Evidence Demands a Verdict, Part 1 and 2. But here's the thing. The Bible, uh, McDowell is going to help you say, look at, let's look at the Bible and how it was written. And you're going to look at a, a Bible that was put together, which means books, over a 1,500-year period of time by a bunch of different authors from different places, and the contradictions between what is said and, and, and the historical historicity of it and the linguistic historicity of it and the genetic basis for it and the, I think I said linguistic, and all the other archaeological supports for it. You know, it, it is a uh, cohesive book that has not been proved wrong in any main part. Now, we believe the Bible is absolutely inerrant, not without any mistake, when it came from God's mouth to Isaiah's ear onto parchment or whatever he wrote on. But we do know that there are difficulties with translations. And so you're not going to be able to say that 100% inerrancy when it comes to the modern translations which we hold. But you can say it is infallible in the fact that it has everything necessary to lead uh, a person to a saving knowledge of, the, of, of God. And so uh, you, would, you will get yourself in a problem if you make a stance on that it is absolutely in this present form that I'm holding in my hands right now, absolutely inerrant. You're going to have some difficulty because there's translation problems, but they are not on major issues. They're very small issues. Does that help? Wonderful. That is just great. Okay, good, my friend. God bless you. Keep going. Thank you. God bless. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to Ross, first-time caller from Salt Lake City, Utah. Ross, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Hi, Ross. Hi. I wanted to run this by you. When I was uh, young, 45 years old, but... Uh, when I was young, I was an athlete and a Boy Scout, and in order to participate in sports, we had to go to church three times out of four times a yeah. month, and so forth. And I was baptized in the LDS church, and over the last uh, eight to ten years, I've been reading on my own. I'm not a member of a denomination, but I wondered, this baptism, being baptized in the church, um, is this inhibiting me from receiving the true Holy Spirit? Do I need to be baptized again? Um, and I'm just kind of vague about some of the correct questions I should be even a asking uh, pertaining to my baptism uh, and getting rebaptized and having the whole, being led by the Holy, the correct Holy Spirit, etc. Makes sense, Ross. Hey, uh, really quickly, um, baptism is best understood as an identifier. And um, it's similar to circumcision of the Old Testament. Circumcision did not make you a Jew, but if you were a Jew, you were circumcised. Baptism does not make you a Christian, but if you're a Christian, you're going to be baptized. Um, the thief on the cross was not, so it's not pertinent to salvation. Now, when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you ask him to forgive your sins and you ask him to give you a new heart, the Holy Spirit moves in without baptism. And you are a new creature in Christ and all things become new and you begin your walk as a Christian and something will say to you, you know, I really want to publicly be identified with, with, uh, with the Christian community and so I will be baptized publicly and I'll profess my love for Christ and my devotion to him and I'll be baptized that way. That baptism does not do anything in terms of the Holy Spirit moving into you or not, but it certainly comes, there's something comes with it that's beautiful. When I was baptized four and a half years ago in my jacuzzi, it was, my life changed literally. 
and, and things became different. Some people have a harder time, some people have an easier time, but things will change. Now, as far as your LDS baptism, I think it was just like playing in a pool. I don't think it has any merit, but if you believe that it has something that could possibly hold you back, go forward, uh, take your name off the roll, or go forward and be baptized by a, a Christian pastor and, and do it in the name of Christ and Christ alone, not to join a church or to get, accept membership, and that will help you out a lot in your spiritual walk. Advice well taken. I'm very grateful for you and your, your mission, um, et cetera. Thank You're you. welcome. Thank you, John. Thanks, Ross. Thanks for watching. God bless. Likewise. Bye-bye. Hey, you know, we uh, support Israel, as we said at the beginning. We're going to take a quick commercial break about products that we represent from them. It helps Israel. It helps us. Let's take a look, and we'll come back and take more of your calls. We're back. Got a great question here. Someone who doesn't want to come on the air, but says, why do you think God created all the different races? Well, uh, my personal opinion, don't know. You figure it out, but I'll tell you this. God loves diversity. I mean, look at the, the number of flowers he's created, the fish, in, the fish, the birds. Human beings are no different. And he sees black as gorgeous. He sees white as gorgeous, yellow. He sees differences as beautiful. And he, he is not confined. He's not an anthropomorphic God. He's not sitting up there in, in skin that he wants to get tan on the weekends or, or, put, or put sunscreen on because he's going to get burned. He is spirit and he's creator, and he creates everything beautifully. It's humans and our fallen nature that starts segregating and, and making judgments and stuff. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I believe God put in Adam and Eve all the DNA and genetic makeup that wherever the human race went, they would adapt to the environment through evolution, if you want to call it, that I believe that our skin can become thicker and darker and our hair more coarse if we're in tougher places and if we're in not so tough places with different things. I believe God genetically put that in the first human beings and he is the master of all. So that's why I think he did it. It's beautiful. He loves it. And when we die, like U2 sings, not to quote U2, but I think they sing about all the colors bleed into one, baby. I mean, it's just going to be a beautiful thing and all this ugliness will go away. Okay, we're going to go to Reba in... Um, Salt Lake, no, excuse me, we're going to Charlene in Wyoming, first-time caller. Charlene, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, yes, it's about the, the scout leaders. Yes. Um, I'm surprised they're making such a big deal over it. I know it's the public relations in the Mormon Church. Yeah. But 20 years ago, I was uh, in Canon 8th Ward, yeah. and I had been a scout leader for about five years. I left the LDS Church, and within weeks... Now, my husband did not leave. We, we both, he was leading the 10-year-old boys, and I had the 8-year-olds. Uh -huh. And they called me in and told me I could no longer be a scout leader because I was no longer a member of the church. Yeah. My husband was able to continue. I wasn't. Wow. 
And so it's it's not anything that, you know, they're just making a big deal out of it just for the public relations. Yeah, exactly. But I was trying to make that, that my point, but my chest hair was getting in the way. I, <laughs> uh, but you're right. You're right. And that is the point of it. They're making a big deal because someone's not let them, and they've been doing it to us for a long time. Yes. Very good point. I really appreciate it, Charlene. Thank you. God, God bless. Bye-bye. Bye. How come the church will not let you get a temple divorce until you are ready to go through the temple and why is it so hard to get your name off the records it shouldn't be hard to get your name off the records anymore you send in the letter go to utlm.org go to www.bornagainmormon.com and you can uh, get all the information to get your name taken off. As far as the temple thing, that's a little game they play. You know, they play with your family. Oh, you're divorced now. Oh, uh, well, your husband is remarried. And, you know, they play this little game to kind of keep you wondering whether you need to go back in just to keep peace. And it's a horrible thing, you know, and God is not like that at all. All right, Reba in Salt Lake City, first-time caller. Reba, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes. You're on the air, Reba. Oh, I am in the air? You're on the air, yeah. You got to turn your TV down, honey. Okay. I, I'm done. Okay, you're on the air. Okay, uh, um, I have a question. Uh, I heard about Solomon Spalding. So I wonder if you know about. Solomon Spalding? Solomon Spalding. Yeah, it's Solomon Spalding. That was a manuscript that was written where many people believe Joseph Smith took many ideas for the Book of Mormon and incorporated them into, uh, from Solomon Spaulding's writings. So the Book of Mormon originated by uh, this, uh, this fiction book? Uh, they, there's some suggestion that much of the Book of Mormon comes from Solomon Spaulding's manuscript, from View of the Hebrews, another manuscript, from, uh, from current literature, from uh, atlases, from uh, borrowing from the Bible, certainly, and uh, from the themes of what was going on politically around his area at the time of him growing up. So he was a great synthesizer of information, and if he had five books and a newspaper on his desk, and he was writing, if he read in this newspaper today that there was a really big bloody battle going on over in Europe and a thousand soldiers were killed on one hill. Hmm. Oh, and he probably included that in the Book of Mormon under a different thing. He was a great synthesizer. Our shows on the Book of Mormon, which I think you can get uh, in 2008, there's four or five parts. If you watch all of those, it's hard to believe in that book once you're done. Okay. Um, so uh, do you uh, guys uh, have that book? Uh, no, but you can get it at utlm.org, or you can go to uh, Utah Lighthouse Ministry Bookstore. They have it. Okay. Okay? Okay, uh, but I'm talking to who? My name's Enrique. I answer the phones for Sean. Oh, uh, okay. Okay? Thank my, you so my... much. Bye-bye. We're going to Mike in Ogden. Mike, you're on Heart of the Matter. What's that? You're on the air, man. Oh, wow. Okay. Is it Sean? It is. No wonders we have a delay. My question is, you were a missionary. What did you say to the black people uh, when you confronted them to, well, as you sold them to church? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't remember what I said, but I did some kind of song and dance, 
You know, it was 78 when the change came and I went on my mission in 81 or 82 or something like that. So I probably said it was for that time. Uh, we really don't know where it came from. I used the example of God and the Levitical priesthood, the same things I brought up tonight. Any excuse, I, I used it. Okay. Um, the other question I have is, you're, you're talking about you can send in... I joined the church when I was uh, first came to Utah. I was, I'm not originally from Utah. Uh -huh. Went through the whole rigmarole and started asking questions about why they you know, still wear the apron when who's with this and that, so they told me, you know, what color do you think of a spring? And I said blue because I'm from New York and what have you, but no, it's green. So anyway, <laughs> how do I get my name off the records? Uh, go to utlm.org or go to bornagainmormon.com, and both of those sites will give you d uh, directions on how to do it, Mike. Okay, appreciate that. God bless you. Take care, my friend. You too. Thanks. God bless you. Bye-bye. We're going to Diane and Bountiful, first-time caller. Diane, you're on Heart of the Matter. We got one minute, my friend. Okay, I just had a really quick question. Yes. Um, this is something that Jay Graham from Adams Road told me to ask you. Oh. Um, I was just baptized Christian on the 3rd of October, and my grandfather didn't want to come because he said that it's not a true baptism because it's not in the LDS Church. Oh because the authority had been taken away, and that's why the priesthood was re-restored or something. Can you tell me a little bit about that or where it says that it was actually taken away? <laughs> well, it, uh, the LDS claimed that there was a worldwide apostasy, and from that worldwide apostasy, the authority to act in God's name was lost. Uh, okay. They use about three different scriptures in the New Testament to support that, but all of the uh, scriptures are out of context. We did a show this year, which you can find on our archives, on apostasy. Read that, read, uh, listen to that show because it will give you all the information about how there was absolutely no apostasy. Jesus said, you know, uh, I have established my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He told some people in, in Mark, his apostles said, hey, those guys over there, they're casting out devils in your name. And uh, should we go and, 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 and kill them? He didn't, they didn't say kill them, but do something bad to them. And Jesus said, leave them alone. If they're not against me, they're for me. And, and so meaning this authority stuff about doing things in Jesus' name comes by faith now. It does not come from a lineage passed down the way things were done with the Aaronic priesthood back in the old days. But watch the show on apostasy. It's the best I can do off the top of my head, Diane. All right. Thank you so much. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, we are out of time. 24 seconds. I'm sorry about Scott and Harold. Uh, we will get to you next week. Call back. Uh, listen, remember, the screening on December 6th, Gateway Theaters. Get there at 6.30, and uh, also Heart for Israel. And if you uh, can help us out with that, great, good products. Go to hotm.tv for more information about all of it. We'll see you then. God bless you. Break my, gonna break my rusty cage.